Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your scriptures and see David handling the people as he returns back to his kingdom. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 19. We've got David returning back from his being chased away from Absalom by Absalom. Uh, People are happy he's coming back. Uh, Shimei comes back to him and David forgives, well, doesn't technically forgives him, but doesn't, tells his people he's not going to, nobody dies on his day of his, of his return back to the kingdom. And uh, we looked at Shimei coming back and all of his friends, all of, all of his warriors wanted to, to execute Shimei and David says, no, that's not gonna happen. And uh, Shimei feels very blessed that he's not, not uh, losing his life. And we're going to start on chapter 24. And Meshivasheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. And it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said unto him, Wherefore went you not with me, Meshivasheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceive, deceived me. And your servant said, I will saddle up a donkey that I may ride up thereon and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant unto my lord the king, but my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in your eyes. For all of my father's house were but dead men before my lord the king. Yet did you set your servant among them that did eat at your own table? What right have I to cry any more unto the king? And the king said unto him, Why speak you any more of the matters? I have said, I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. And Meshivasheth said unto the king, Yea, let him take all, for as much as my lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. So here we have Meshivasheth. That's Jonathan's son coming back to see David. And um, in the previous chapter, we had Ziba, the servant of Meshivasheth, had come to David and said that, you know, when Meshivasheth heard that you were running from Absalom, he, he decided that he was going to be able to become king again. You remember that, remember that a couple weeks ago? Uh, so here we have David being told two different stories. And uh, David is not seeming to care at this moment. He is happy about coming home. We have Meshivasheth in verse 24 coming and meeting David. And it says he has not taken care of his feet. He has not trimmed his beard. Uh, he has not washed his clothes for the entire time that David is gone. Uh, we don't have any time marker on how long David was away. We know that David ran away, gathered his army. Uh, Absalom gathered his army and chased David and got soundly thrashed. Now, how long that took, whether we're talking days, months, weeks, there's nothing really to tell us. But for whatever period of time, Meshivasheth appears to be in mourning. David's left him. Maybe he's even heard Ziba's, what Ziba said to David. You know, now he's worried that, okay, when David comes back after what Ziba has said, I'm going to be dead meat. You know, uh, David has taken care of me. He's put me on, he's put me, you know, in the royal household. And now Ziba said, told him that I'm a traitor. All right, now we don't know 
The Bible never tells us which of the two stories is correct. It just tells us each one of them gave a story to David that were opposite of each other. Ziba saying, Meshavosheth is rising up and looking forward to being king when, when Absalom falls on his face. And Ziba saying, uh, Meshavosheth is saying, Ziba lied, uh, Ziba lied to me and he lied to you. And he slandered me. So this is, this is quite a difference of stories. It's like most, it's like most arguments. You know, most, most debates that you find, two people saying exactly opposite points of view. And so here, he goes and says to David, when David asks him, well, why didn't you come with me? And this is when he says, you know, Ziba, you know, lied before the king to you and he slandered me. You know, and, he, and then he basically says, okay, David, I'm ready. If you want to kill me for, for all of this, go ahead. It's what I, des you know, I deserve it probably. And, but do what is good in your own eyes. All right? He's throwing himself on the mercy of David. I tend to believe that Ziba lied as I read this story, just when I look at the way Meshibosheth showed up. I mean, he showed up without a beard being trimmed, uh, dirty clothes. He hasn't, clean, you know, hasn't washed himself and is ready to throw himself on David's uh, mercy. I kind of think that he told the truth, but there's no... There's nothing in here to let us know who told the truth, who didn't tell the truth. Um, and verse 23, 8 says, For all my father's house were but dead men before the Lord my king, yet you, let, you set your servant among them that did eat at your own table. What right have I to cry anymore unto the king? In other words, he's saying, uh, You've blessed me so much beyond measure that I don't even have a right to complain, all right? I think sometimes, you know, when we look at our, our lives as Christians, do we have this kind of attitude toward, toward God? God, you have blessed me beyond so far. What do I have to complain about? Unfortunately, so many Christians don't live that way. You know, all they do is gripe and moan and complain. Uh, and this is one of the things I saw while I was on this memorial. There was... You know, the church I went to, these guys were not full of life. They did not really seem to believe the, the Bible all the way in the Sunday school class I sat in. You know, they were just moaning and talking about how hard life was and how troublesome life things. And it's like, don't you guys understand what God has done? You know, is what I wanted to say. You know, all that God has done for you. You know, and this is important. Like <laughs> yeah. Meshibosheth is saying... Yeah, you have blessed me so much beyond what I have. I'm willing to take anything from you right now. You know, even if it's death, I'm willing to take it because you have honored me so much beyond and you've cared for me. You know, most kings would have killed everybody that was associated with the previous king, and that was the norm. But David looked at Meshibosheth. And he's got two reasons to help Meshibosheth. Number one, he never wanted to see Saul's family dead. But Meshibosheth is Jonathan's son. And he had promised Jonathan that he was going to take care of, his children, of Jonathan's children. So he honored Meshivosheth and put him in the palace. And can you imagine what it would have been like for Meshivosheth every day, waking up in a beautiful bed fit for a prince when he doesn't deserve it, coming down to the meals 
when he can barely walk, he's crippled. He's crippled, he can't walk or barely can walk, one or the other. He gets to go eat at the royal table with the king and the princes and the princesses and everybody else that's eating at the family table, the, knowing that he doesn't deserve it, he know, uh, he deserves death. And that was his life each day. Yeah. Kind of, Mishibashev really is a beautiful picture of us as Christians that don't deserve anything but death, and God blesses us and puts us up in his, in his home, feeds us. You know, Jesus said, my, I go to prepare a, a place for you, and it says, my father's house has many mansions, and that's not the way we think of mansions, big, big buildings on the, on the hills. Mansions in his mindset is suites of rooms in the, in the, ca, in the palace, or the apartments or whatever, but mansions, suites of rooms. That's what's being prepared for us. In the dwelling place of the Father, he sets us aside suites of rooms that are ours within the palace. And the Shivashev is this wonderful picture for us. He hasn't even been healed. He doesn't even get to walk very well. He may, he may, they may have carried, if he couldn't walk at all, they carried him or wheeled him around or whatever they did to get him around. But David took care of him. And he comes back to David and says, hey, you know, I don't, I don't have, a, I can't cry, I can't, I can't complain about anything. The way you've been treating me, I can't complain. And if you kill me, I've been blessed anyway. And I think for us as Christians, that's something we need to be willing to say, God, you know, I'm willing to take whatever you send my way. Job said, though he slay me, I, yet will I, uh, you know, honor, obey him. And many of the other prophets and everything have said the very same thing. Even though God says that my life is going to be taken, I'm going to serve him. And if you read Fox's Book of Martyr, it's full of people who said the same thing. Going to their death, praising God. Why? Because God honored them enough to say, you're worthy to die for me. And their names have gone down in history so many times. And people have come to Christ because of their willing to honor God even in the face of death. This is the type of place that Meshivashiph is in. David, you know, Ziba said all kinds of terrible things about me. If you want to believe him and kill me, I'm willing to take it because you've blessed me so greatly up until now. And I love it. This is one of the reasons I really tend to believe that Meshivashiph had not gone against David, and he might have, you know, he, was, he had a human nature as well. He may have decided, well, the kingdoms in chaos, this might be a chance for me to, to, to get this, but I just don't think that was the, way, the type of reaction he had. Uh, and David said to him, you know, why are you speaking of this anymore? Okay, he says, I have said, you and Ziba divide the land. Originally, when Ziba complained, you gave him his, his faults, what I'm going to say is a false testimony. David said, all the land belongs to you, Ziba. Now he's going back and saying, well, hey, I don't care what's going on. You guys figure out, you guys divide the land the way, the way you want it. He goes, it's not a big deal to me. And that is when Meshibosheth said to him in such a beautiful thing in verse 30, yea, let him take it all, for as much as my lord the king has come again in peace unto, it, unto his own house. He said, you just, Ziva can take it all. Uh, you know, 
probably hoping, you know, saying, basically saying, David, I've got you. What do I need with the world? And I love that answer because that's the way we should be as Christians. We have God. What do we have in any need of the world's possessions and stuff? Do we need the world's honor? Not at all. Do we need the world's stuff? Not at all. Now, it's not that it's bad to have any of that stuff. You know, uh, Meshavashev has had all this stuff. He, he had fields. He, Zebu was working his fields for him and doing all the work while he, get to, he got to stay in the palace. But ultimately, for us as Christians, we always have to recognize this is not our world. This is not our home. We are going to a different home, a different place, different rules, different way of thinking. And we need to be able to say, God, if you take everything away from me in this life, what is a, lays ahead is great. Paul, when, you know, we've talked about this many times when Paul said that all the stuff that he'd went through is nothing in comparison to heaven. His eyes were on heaven. He said, God, if you just make my life living hell, on this world, it's still nothing compared to what I will experience in heaven. And this is what has to happen for us as Christians. Do we see that process before God that I am going to heaven and what I do in heaven is so much greater than anything that happens to me in this world? And too many of us don't see it that way. We have a problem with, you know, when we go through hard times. God, why are you letting this happen to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? And I sometimes wonder, what, how are we going to feel when we do get to heaven and we see why God let things happen to us? When we go through things, how many people's lives are touched by God because of the stuff that I go through? And we may not, we probably won't know those people until we get to heaven. And you know, I listened to one of the kids' shows uh, just the other day about this kid who didn't get his dreams and was complaining that God had misled it. But one of the things that he did, the you know, really silly thing, he killed a bee, but the QB was put into a car that, somebody, that would have killed the person with their allergy, and he never did find out why he didn't get the stuff that he wanted. How many times in our life is that going to happen? Maybe not that exact situation, but I go through something that is misery to me so that somebody else will get the blessing. I don't know anything else about the times I've suffered that people have said, you know, have been motivated. And for each one of us, we don't know either how people are going to be responding to what they see us go through by faith. Mishibashev's here saying, I don't need it. I don't need anything. You're giving me everything I need. Let, let's see if we keep Let's see if we keep the land. You gave it to him? You know, I've got you. I've got the palace. You're, you're the one that I care about. Let Ziba have everything else. For us in the world, we can say, let Satan have everything in this world. I've got heaven. It doesn't matter what I get in this world. And now, granted, things are easier when we've got stuff and we've got things, but I've also seen stuff and things take people away from God. You know, well, God, I've got my vacation house. I've got to go visit the vacation house. I've got my, my dirt bike. I've got to use my dirt bike. I've got my, my, my boat. I've got to go use the boat. God you, God, you gave me this stuff. You expect me to be happy and use it. 
you know, and is very careful. It can take us away from him. And Brazili the Gilead came down from Rogelim and went over Jordan with the king to conduct him over Jordan. And Brazili was very aged man, even 80 years old, and he had provided the king for substance while he was in Mahanaim, for he was a very great man. And the king said unto Brazili, Come you over with me, and I will feed you with me in Jerusalem. And Bezerilai said unto the king, How long have I had to live that I should go with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old, and, and can I discern between good and evil? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any more this voice of singing men and singing women? Therefore then should wherefore then should your servant be yet a burden unto my king, Lord the king? Let your your servant will go a little way over Jordan with the king, and why should the king recompense me with such a reward? Let your servant, I pray you, turn back again, that I may die in my own city and be buried in the grave of my father and my of my mother. But behold, your servant Shehem, let him go over with the Lord the king, and do to him what shall seem good unto to you. And the king answered, Shimeam shall, shall go over with me, and I will do to him what, that which is, seems good unto you. And whatsoever you shall require of me, that will I do for you. And all the people went over Jordan, and when the king was come over, the king kissed Brazilii and blessed him, and he returned him to his own place. Then the king went to Gilgal, and Shehem went with him, and all the people of Judah conducted the king, and also half the people of Israel. So here we see a beautiful picture going on that Barzillai the Gilead comes over with David. If you remember in chapter 17, verse 27, this was one of the men that, was, that brought the great gift to David in the wilderness with all of his men, the, all the food and the donkeys and the, and the wines and everything. He gave great substance to David and helped David's men get to live through their little wilderness experience. And so he comes just to rejoice with David. He's wanting nothing from the king in return. He's just happy that King David gets to go back to his land and it says he was, he was an old man. He was 80 years old. Now, for those that are 80 years old, they probably don't think 80 years old. But you know, the, the writer of this book thought that 80 was old. And during that period of time, 80 was a pretty fair, fair age uh, to live to. Uh, and he said he provided the substance and that he was a great man. And David is going to him and saying, you blessed me so much. Now it's time for you. You come to my castle. You come with me, and I will, I will give you a mansion in the castle. I'll give you food at my table. David's trying to bless him back. He gave David great blessing, and David's now trying to pay him back. And I think here is something that we, we want to be careful of. Too often in our lifetime, we either help people that we think can help us, and we help them because we think they can help us sometime in the future, or we try to return the favor of somebody, you know, to take, basically taking away the blessing that God has given them by helping us. 
And this is something that is really critical for us to understand. You know, if we help somebody, we should not be expecting to get help in return. Okay, that's the way the world does it. The world won't help you unless they can get help in return. For us as Christians, we should be helping people, not expecting help from, from them. We're just blessing them with what God has given us. And if we need something, God will bless us. And this is very important. Now, I don't believe that this guy was helping David, hoping that David was going to bless him in the future. He was just saying, the king is in trouble. I want to honor the king. And he gave to the king. And this is something that is very important. What is our motivation for helping others? Brazilii said, you know, when David says, come, come, live, come live at the palace, Brazilii says, yeah, how much longer do I have to live anyway? You know, he's, kind of, he's kind of a very pragmatic man. Uh, you know, I don't have much longer to live, you know, and, and, uh, and I kind of like this, what he says, you know, I'm, I'm 80 years old, and can, you know, can I discern good from evil, you know, good, good things from bad things? Uh, you know, can I taste the food you're going to put in me, you know, before me? And apparently, you know, the older you get, the less taste food has for many older people. They, they, don't, they lose that sensitive tasting of food. And I don't think he meant that literally he couldn't taste it. He goes, but am I going to know the difference between the, the hash that was thrown at me at the diner or the five-star chef? You know, you know, he's saying that, you know, I don't really, I'm not going to, I am so old, I don't appreciate that, the difference between the two. He says, can I, can I hear the voice of the singing of the men and the women? So apparently he was going hard of hearing, uh, you know, saying, hey, you know, what good, what good is it going to be to me? I'm not going to be entertained by these singers. Uh, I can't hear them anyway. I can't taste the food. <laughs> so why should, why should I be a burden on the king? Why should I expect you to try to entertain me and give me food? And what he's really saying is I can't really appreciate it. I'm getting to the stage in my life where my life is short and I really can't appreciate what, what's there. And I'm not yet 80 years old, so I don't know if half of what he's saying is true or not, but he's saying, he's saying you know, hey, basically saying I'm old, I don't need this blessing. <laughs> you're, you're wasting a blessing on me, is what he's saying. Give it, and that's exactly where he comes back to, though. You know, I will go over with you for a little while, and that's all the reward you know, I don't need your reward. And then I'm going to turn back so that I can die in my own city, be buried with my own family. And then he says, behold, but behold your servant Shiham, let him go over with my lord the king. We do not really know who Shiham is. There's two speculations. Either he was a the son of Barazil, which I kind of believe he probably was. This is, this is quite a blessing he's throwing somebody's way. Others believe that he was a favored uh, servant. And I don't really think of, you know, this was quite a blessing to give to a servant. If this was a servant, he loved that servant greatly. I can't rule that out. I kind of think it was probably his son saying, hey, take my son. Uh, it could have been a servant. We don't know. We don't, we don't know anything about this individual. And, uh, but, but uh, Brasilia says, bless this person instead. It would be wasted on me, bless this person. And I've seen many fathers and grandfathers do this kind of thing. 
you know, oh, don't, I don't need this kind of honor. I'm, I'm old. I don't, I don't need this. Bless my son. You know, pass this blessing to my son. Jonathan has, had done this with David as well. He told David, I'm going to die. Jonathan knew that when his father died that he had to die for David to take the throne. He goes, when I die, you take care of my children. This is the same prayer that Brazilii is having. You're, you're wanting to give me this great blessing. I, I really, number one, he feel, feels he doesn't deserve it. But he also says, I'm too old to even care about it. Here, take my son, take my servant, whichever, whatever it is, but take this man and bless him in my place. Meshibosheth is, is being blessed because of the promise David made to Jonathan. This is the type of promise David's going to keep. You know, okay, fine. You don't want it? I'll bless, you. I'll bless your son. I will take care of your son. I will make this happen to him. And so the king answered, Shimei shall go over with me, and I will do to him that which seems good unto you, for whatsoever you require of me, that I will do. This man helped keep David safe and secure in the wilderness. Now, David and their men probably would have been able to live off the land, but they'd have had to go hunt. They'd have had to go get water. They would not have been able to organize the army. They would not have been able to do all of these things. And Brazilii and his company of people fed David provided for David, gave them beds, gave them water. They did not have to live off the land. They were able to get ready for the battle that was coming their way because they weren't out tiring themselves by hunting and gathering and all of that stuff. This man literally, with his blessing, helped get David prepared for the battle that was coming his way. Now, God obviously was the one, but this man is the, one, the physical person that helped David get his kingdom back. Because if David had had to cut, you know, take the best of his bowmen out and, and slingers and, and scouts to go find food and water and drink and everything, they would not have been ready for the battle or as ready for the battle with Absalom as they were. So this man literally has blessed David in a great way. And David recognizes it. David's a general. He knows what provisions mean to the army. And he recognizes that this man has really helped him in ways that most people don't realize when they read, read that section. Right, the guy brought him food, big deal. It was a huge deal. It was a huge deal that this man provided for David and his men. They were now get, able to get ready for the war that was coming and be able to defend themselves and, and take the battle to Absalom. This man blessed David in a way that most of us don't really fully understand the blessing that this, this person gave him. And this is why God is looking for us to be able to reach out to people, just to love them, honor them, support them, help them out in whatever way works for them. This man never expected David to pay back and really kind of pushed back when David wanted to pay him back because he was just doing what God wanted him to do. And this is something I have taught people over the years. If somebody, if you're going to bless somebody, bless them with no, no desire to get it back. But the harder thing for us as Christians is sometimes to accept a blessing from somebody else. A lot of times people, no, don't need it, trusting in God, or don't need it. And this is very important in this 
sometimes we need to learn to just receive a gift, whether we think we need it or not, because God has put it on that person's heart to give and accept it in the spirit that it was given in and don't steal their blessing of giving by not accepting. And, and I've told people, if you don't think you need it, give it away to somebody else. I mean, that's, that's fine. Don't, don't, if you, but don't take their blessing of giving away from them by, not, by not being too proud to accept it. Because number one, you might just find that you need it very soon. And if it really is that big a deal, and, but also have you really given until, have you given to God if it doesn't cost you anything? Jesus said, no, the, the Pharisees and the scribes who gave, gave all their money, but he said they gave out of their surplus. It didn't hurt them at all. Exactly. The widow gave everything she had, and God said that was great. Now, does he want us always to give everything we have? No. But does he want us to be dependent upon him? Absolutely. So for some people, they can give a tithe, and it doesn't bother them at all because it doesn't hurt them. Uh, so the real question is, when we give, is it to the point where we have to have trust in God to provide. And I'm not saying we give everything away, but you know, when I give, I'm looking at my bills and going, okay, God, I can give you my leftovers. All right? And it might be more than a tithe. Maybe, maybe it's even 30%. But it's my leftover that I didn't need to survive. And God says, okay, you, you gave a nice gift, but you didn't, you didn't really give me a sacrifice. And I'm not saying we go give him everything and say, okay, God, I gave you everything. Now you give me back what I need. That's not what he's asking for either. But if all we're doing is give him surplus, whatever that surplus is, even if it's 50 or 60%, and I give him my surplus, I really haven't offered a sacrifice. We need to be careful about all of that. And there is a place where we want to give till it hurts, you know, that I feel a little bit of pain. And if, because that will make me trust God. All right, God, I gave you... And now I need you to be my, support, my supply. Where that line is, I don't know. Every, every speaker that I've been listening, every theologian I've been reading on says the same thing. How much do you give? You give to the place where you're dependent upon God to supply. And that's, a, that's an interesting, interesting thought. I don't know that I do that. I give much more than the tithe, but I don't give to the place where I must trust in God for every blessing I get. And I've been really challenged by that over the year, you know, over time to say, God, how much more should I be giving to have to trust you? And the king says, it went over, it went on to Gilgal, and Shiham went with him, and all the people of Judah conducted the king, and also half the people of Israel. So he's got quite a crowd gathered up there. He's got the people of Judah and, and half the rest of the population out there all cheering him on to home. It's quite a procession. A definitely a royal procession. Verse 41. And behold, all the men of Israel came to the king and said unto the king, why, why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away? And we, and have brought the king and his household and all David's men with him over Jordan. And all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is our near kin to us. Wherefore then, be you angry in this manner? Have we eaten at all at the king's cost, or have we, has he given us any gifts? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, saying, We've, We have ten parts in the king, and, you have, and we have also more right in David than you. Why do you despise us that our advice should not be first in bringing back our king 
And the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. We, it is so interesting here. David is coming back in a victory celebration. Judah is supporting him. Now the interesting thing here, if we remember a couple chapter, a couple weeks ago, Israel was the first one to accept him back, and David had to chide Judah and say, "Why are you? you know, why didn't you? Why weren't you first? But the people of Judah are right at where David is going to cross the river. That is their home territory. It's not surprising that they all come to him. He's of the tribe of Judah, so they are family, as they as they say. And the rest of the people have to travel some distance to get over to see David. And yet, they're going to have this battle. Not a, not a physical battle, but a battle of words. You know, why are you having such a big deal? There's 10 of us and only two of you, and you guys send all of your people to bring him in, and you're celebrating with him, and all of this, this is going on. The sad thing is that every time God moves, this type of stuff happens. People feel left out or disrespected. They didn't want to have anything to do with it, but once God moves mightily, they get kind of their feelings get hurt and they get a little bummed out that they that somebody didn't force them to help. You know, and that's basically what's going on here. You know, we you guys went there, we didn't, and now, you know, and you lost a lot of our people because you killed us, and there's all these problems going on. And things happen. And this is one of the things I keep saying. When God moves, Satan just doesn't sit down and say, oh, I've lost the battle and, and go suck his thumb somewhere in the corner. He gets up and he raises up a battle plan. And a lot of times his battle plan is to split the victorious side up. Let's get people to have bad feelings. Let's get them bickering amongst themselves. Let's get them arguing. Let, let's make sure that everybody knows that their feelings were heard and, and let's, get, let's get some problems build, uh, going in. And this is something you see so often. A church moves forward with God and a great victory happens and then all kinds of little bickering happens around the edges and, the, and in the center and people get their feelings hurt. You know, I didn't get used the way I wanted to, or I'm not being used the way I used to be used, or I'm not, I don't have as big a part, and you know, this person has more part, and they're brand new, and this person, you know, all kinds of complaints that happen. And then rumors start happening that aren't necessarily true, and what, well, you know, and it goes around the town. You know what that church stands for? You know what they've said? You know what, the, you, know, you know what they think about you? And all these things start happening. And Satan rises up a ruckus. He's rising up a ruckus. David is coming home in victory. The people have all called for him. And now the nation is breaking up into the two camps that is going to be the future of them. The ten tribes of Israel and the and Judah and Benjamin is, it will be the, the southern kingdom after Solomon's reign. But it's already starting. We see it already starting at this point. We ten have a better, you know, there's ten of us. We have a greater call on the king than you. You're only two. He's ten twelfths ours and he's only two tenths yours. <laughs> you know, we, we have a greater, greater 
need than you and he should be paying more attention to us because we are more. And you know, we get this kind of stuff all the time in Christian circles. You know, even when churches come together to do things, one of the biggest problems that pastors having with coming together so often is who's going to get credit and who's going to get what. And when we get the blessings for, for what God has done, who, who's going to get the credit? And they won't come out quite that bluntly and say it, but that is really what they're worried about. You know, who, am I going to get the credit for, for, this, for this thing? Is my church going to get the, you know, they may be real spiritual, is my church going to get the credit for this? This is just literally, we deserve, we deserve credit because he's arcing, he's, he's arcing as much as, basically saying he's arcing as much as yours, and by the way, we, got, we have 10 tribes, you only have two. Yeah, so they're saying he's, in one sense, they're saying he's more our king because we have more people. You know, you're just the, you're the small group. You're the small group. We're the big group. We see tension. David's just getting back, and tension is being put into the kingdom. And this happens all the time when God moves. Satan brings in all kinds of tension, all kinds of problems, real or imagined. Okay, because they've actually got a point. There's, t there's ten tribes as opposed to two. But what was their imagined problem? The nearest tribe supported him best. <laughs> you know, it would be like uh, we're, we're parading the president uh, you know, down a great big parade in Phoenix and then getting upset that most of the, most of the crowd is from Phoenix. You know, well, of course most of them are from Phoenix. They live right there. That's what's happening here. Judah is parading him back. Judah is right on the border where he's crossing. You know, it is their territory. It makes sense that they would be there in full force. It makes sense that they would be there because he's also of their tribe. All right? And these, this complaint, half of, half of Israel is there. It said in the, just before, half of Israel is there, and they're complaining that more than half of Judah came. It, their complaint really makes no sense. But so many times when Satan moves against the work of God, the attacks don't make sense. People will be attacked for little things they've done wrong and they'll be blown out of proportion, sometimes not even for things they have done wrong. They will just be attacked. They will go, well, I don't like their message. They're, they're speaking God's word and I don't like God's word and attack you. You know, they will find some reason not to come, and sometimes they're legitimate. Well, that person was mean to me. All right, one person out of the entire group was mean to you. You know, so what? You know, ignore them and go to, you know, it's, but we see it often. Feelings get hurt in churches by people oftentimes, and sometimes for no real reason, they just get their feelings hurt, and even if it is a good reason, we're dealing with sinners. Yeah. And Satan uses those sins to really put wedges in amongst God's people. And if he's successful, he can stop the move of God. And that has happened on many occasions where a church has been stopped dead in its tracks because wedges, enough wedges were put in to break up the church's momentum. And this is what we need to always be careful about in the church. 
keep following God. Keep our eyes on God and don't let those wedges come in. We need to be able to love and forgive and give grace to one another and mercy and just keep moving forward with God and don't let problems get in the way. Now I know that's easier said than done, especially when Satan is working in there real, real good to, to cause the problems, but we need to be careful all through scripture, whenever God moves, you look at the enemy moving against it. No matter what it is. Go back to Ezra and Nehemiah building the, rebuilding the city of Jerusalem and the world comes against them and starts splitting and causing problems and making problems between Ezra and the king and all these things that they did. We look at this particular case. David's coming back in victory. Being called back by his by his by the entire nation, and they start getting fractions against him. We see Abraham being moved, walking around the, around the promised land, and we see Lot and his servants getting jealous and causing problems. Over and over again in scripture, we see God moving and problems developing. Go all the way back to Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel because Abel does things the right way and Cain did it the wrong way and God didn't accept him. And in his jealousy, he kills his brother, trying to stop the movement of God. Over and over in the scriptures, we see God move, the enemy come against. And the question for us is, are we going to keep our eyes on God? Are we going to try to follow him through all of that process? And we sometimes will be successful, sometimes we won't. But we don't want to be the one responsible for stopping the move of God. Be, you know, that would be terrible if we're the reason that God is, God's movement is stopped. And right now, David is seeing fractions within his kingdom already. He's coming back in victory and there's fractions within, the, within his kingdom and it's all Satan moving against them. Mm -hmm. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. Lord, teach us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to allow no schisms and frac fractions in, within the moves that you do here. Help us to keep our eyes on, on you, following you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.